Why is American society collapsing all around us into immorality and violence? Could it be due to the failure of the church to boldly preach the Word of God? Stay tuned for a presentation by Billy Crone, one of our nation's premier young prophetic voices. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. The theme of our 2018 Bible conference was God's Prophetic Voices to America. At the conference, we featured several prophetic voices that were mentioned in the book that I wrote with the same title. One of our speakers who was not featured in that book was Billy Crone, the pastor of Sunrise Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, and founder of Get a Life Ministries. The reason he was not included in the book is because he is a new prophetic voice that burst on the scene rather recently, and in a very short time he has become an Internet sensation. At our conference he spoke about the hope for a last day's revival. In the process he presented a powerful challenge to the church to arise from its lethargy and start proclaiming the gospel with boldness. Incidentally, Billy talks very fast and with great passion, so you had better put on your seatbelt and hold on to your chair. Here now is an excerpt from Billy's presentation. concern. Here's what I felt led to preach on. Could it be though, in the midst of all this good news, that we could be making church, we could be making the same mistake that the Jewish people did at Jesus' first coming right on the heels of the rapture. Now let me show you with what I'm about to, to talk about, the verse will pop up here. Open your Bibles to Luke 19. That's going to be our opening text. Could we be making that same mistake? Well, let's see what mistake did the Jewish people make at Jesus' first coming. Luke 19 is our opening text, right? Verse 28 through 44, okay? Luke uh, 19. But here's what the Word of God says to you. What was the mistake? Well, it's Jesus' triumphal entry, and He points something out to them. And here's what He says there. Verse 28, after Jesus had said this, He went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As He approached Bethphage and Bethany on the hill called Mount of Olives, He sent two of His disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you're going to find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell them, the Lord needs it. Well, those who were sent ahead of him found it just as he told him. Obviously, he's God. And, and as they were untying the colt, he, his owners asked him, well, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. So they gave it to him, and they brought it to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on the colt, and they put Jesus on it. And, and he went along, and, and the people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the, listen, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And they said, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees in the crowd, they said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus said, Hey, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now listen, as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he what? He wept. But wait a second, they're saying, Yeah, come on. So he wept over Jerusalem, right? And he wept over it and he said this, If you, even you, had only known this day that would bring you what? You missed it. What would bring you peace, he said. 
right? But now it's hidden from your eyes and you're headed for doom. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you. And, 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 and then what will happen is you will be hemmed in on every single side and they will dash you to the ground and you and your children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another. Why? Because listen, you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Sad, sad passage here at the triumphal entry. Jesus, he weeps over Jerusalem. It should be a great time of celebration, but he weeps because why? We know the story because he knew as God that they were about to reject him. He was about to be rejected by his own people. Oh, they feigned that they wanted him. Oh, yeah, come on in. But he knew that they really didn't want him. He knew their problem was this. You want a political savior, not a spiritual savior. You just want somebody to remove the Roman uh, oppression. Get rid of that. That's what you're excited about. Jesus wants to give them something better. In fact, if you take a look at the parallel passage in Matthew 23, which, by the way, is right before Matthew 24, which is where Jesus, for those of you hooked on math, which is where Jesus right, gives us the signs of his next coming, right? Before that, again, contextually, he reveals the problem that they had, right? Let's take a look at that passage. Matthew 23, 37, Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how I often have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But what? You were not willing. Why were you not willing? Because their hearts wanted the wrong thing. They had the wrong desire. This is why Jesus wept. His people, he was the answer to all the ills of the society. The long-awaited Messiah, the one they say they wanted to come. They didn't want a spiritual savior. They wanted a political savior. And Jesus wept because only he, the Prince of Peace, the one and only Messiah, can bring peace to your heart, to your nation. So he wept. And then he says, because of that, because of that mistake, you're headed for doom. Very, very sad. That's the Jesus, his warning. Listen, Matthew 23, that's what he warned. He exposed their hearts before he talked about the signs of his coming. And here's my whole point, church. I wonder if we, the church, are on the verge of doing the same thing. And if we're headed to our own doom. Because I don't know about you, but things are going great. Praise God in the current administration. But I don't know about you, but it hasn't been that long. And I'm already starting to see, church, are we going back to sleep at the wheel? And are we making the same mistake? And are we putting only our hope in a political savior? And will we be headed to our own doom? And again, I'm glad for the current administration and, and I'm praise God President Trump is making so great moves as we already talked about and not even talking about his support for Israel and all the great things he's doing over there. And I don't, I don't ever want to go back to the previous administration. That was bad news. But listen, President Trump is not the one who can make America great again. Only Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace can. We don't need to put, yes, praise God. I, I'm taking every ounce that I can to celebrate the time we live in. Woo-hoo! Especially after the last eight years. But don't put all your eggs into just that basket. Don't make the same mistake as the Jewish people. You want to make America great again? Then church, we need to get back on track and start proclaiming Jesus Christ. He is the one that can make our country great again. And, 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 and this, is, this is what I, I want to uh, give you guys a question. Will America experience a last day's revival? I, I don't know. It certainly doesn't look like it. And, and we know the seven-year tribulation is coming. But I don't know. Maybe God's got one final genuine revival up his sleeves. 
But all I know, if we make the same mistake as the Jewish people and go back to sleep at the wheel because we're more concerned about economy than the state of eternity, if we're more concerned about a political savior instead of the one and only savior, it's never going to happen. And I don't know about you, but I want to finish on a high note for Jesus Christ when the rapture happens. Because guess what? Jesus Christ will find each one of us doing something when the rapture occurs. Do you realize that? What will he find you doing? Just being all excited just about the economy? Being all excited about yourself? Sinning? Living in this world? What? He will find you doing something. But wouldn't you want to be one who is there leading souls to Jesus Christ? Wouldn't it be awesome if you're there praising God the next minute you're in heaven? Whoa! Because it's going to happen. But could we be a part of a last day's revival? Well, all I know if that's ever going to happen, if it's, I don't know God's thing, but if it's ever going to happen, we the church have got to get back on track. We've got to get proclaiming Jesus Christ. Now, what I want to demonstrate to you creatively is that's nothing new. You talk about our country being great. You take a look at our Christian heritage, folks, and what made our country great was our country was founded on Jesus Christ. You take a look at our founding fathers and what they set up for us, why our country was so great for so long. It had nothing to do with the economy. It had everything to do that our country was founded on Jesus Christ. And I want to show that to you today. And that first evidence that our country was founded on Jesus Christ is because our founding fathers say so. Now, we saw this verse last night with uh, Robert Jeffries, but let's take a look at it again. Our founding fathers took this very serious. You're going to build a nation? You're going to do anything? Make sure it's built on Jesus Christ. And that's what they did, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. But each one of you should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is who? Jesus Christ. Why? Because if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Why? Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it's burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Now, Paul's charge here, as we saw last night, to not waste your life on temporary things, that you need to build your foundation on Jesus Christ. Christ with lasting things. Believe it or not, our founding fathers believed in this verse. And it wasn't just for the personal lives. They believed in this verse as a foundational truth to build the foundation of our country on. They built our country purposely on Jesus Christ, on the Bible, on God, on Christianity. Now, we've been lied to, and the church, we have rolled over and played dead because we have accepted the lie, and the lie goes like this. I know you've heard this one. Oh, no. Our founding fathers, you better get out of here, Christians and Christianity, because our founding fathers demanded separation of church and state. How many of you guys heard that lie? That's a lie from the pit of hell. When somebody asks you that question, you need to challenge them, Christian, in love. Excuse me, where does that phrase, separation in church and state, appear in our Constitution? Answer, it's not there. Where does that phrase, separation in church and state, appear in the Bill of Rights? Answer, it's not there. It came from a letter, a letter from Thomas Jefferson in 1802 from the Danbury Baptists who were concerned, they wrote to Thomas Jefferson, and they were concerned as Baptists, a Christian denomination, that another Christian denomination in America at that time was getting popular, they were concerned that they were going to become, listen, the official denomination of the United States of America. So they wrote to Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson wrote back in that letter where you see separation of church and state, and he referred to them back to the Bill of Rights, to the First Amendment, which says, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. In other words, he's basically saying he has confidence in the foundation that they set up through Jesus Christ that, listen, here's what that phrase meant 
historically, even in that letter. Again, it's not in the Bill of Rights. It's not in the Constitution. It's in this letter. But even the letter, all he meant, all he meant was this. No Christian denomination will officially be chosen as the official Christian denomination of the United States of America. That's it. Now, notice in the historical context there, it's Christianity. It's not talking about Buddhism or Hinduism or Eastern mysticism and everything else under the sun. And he's certainly not talking about the exclusion of it. He just said, we're not going to officially be Baptists only as Christians in America. That's all it is. We have been lied to. Now, I want to demonstrate to you just how much we have been lied to, okay, by taking a look at what our founding fathers believed. You tell me if they didn't deliberately build our nation on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at some of that evidence today. And we could be here all day through quotes, but obviously I'll just share a few of them. John Adams said the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of what? Christianity. He said it. I didn't. Without religion, meaning Christianity, this world would be something not fit to be mentioned in polite company. I mean what? Hell. So in other words, you remove Christianity, what's it going to turn into? And that's what's happened today. The Christian religion, he said, above all religions that's ever prevailed or existed in ancient or modern times, the religion of wisdom, virtue, equity, and humanity. John Quincy Adams says, my hopes of a future life are all founded on what? The gospel of Christ in the chain of human events. The birthday of the nation is linked forever with the birthday of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, the declaration of independence laid the cornerstone of human government upon what? The first precepts of Christianity. Patrick Henry said, being a Christian is a character I prize far above all else this world has or can boast. Righteousness alone can exalt America as a nation. The great pillars of all government and social life are virtue, morality, and religion. This is the armor, my friend. This, meaning Christianity, is what renders us invincible. John Jay, this came from the U.S. Supreme Court. Listen, mercy and great. The Chief Justice said this. Mercy and grace and favor did come by who? the Supreme Court, Jesus Christ. By conveying the Bible to people, we ruin their lives. We're being intolerant bigots. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation. What's he say there? We certainly do to them the most interesting act of kindness. The Supreme Court said this, the most effectual means of securing the continuance of our civil and religious liberties is to always remember with reverence and gratitude the source from which they flow. Where does it flow from? The Bible, the best of all books, for it is the word of God and teaches us the way to be happy in this world and in the next. Continue, therefore, from the Supreme Court, says, to read it and to regulate your life by its precepts, providence, meaning God, has given to our people the choice of their rulers and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Benjamin Rush, the father of public schools under the Constitution. The gospel of who? Jesus Christ prescribes the wisest rules and just conduct in every situation in life. Happy they who are enabled to obey them in all situations. The great enemy of salvation of man, Satan, he said, in my opinion, has never invented a more effective means of limiting Christianity from the world than what? By persuading mankind that it was what? Improper to read the Bible at school. You tell me that's not what's happened. He said that came from Satan, right? He said Christianity is the only true and perfect religion and in proportion as mankind adopts his principles, obeys his precepts that will be wise and happy. Listen, the Bible should be read in our schools in preference to all other books. That's straight from our founding fathers. And they want us to believe that separation of church and state, which is not in the Bill of Rights, it's not in the Constitution, and it's ripped out of historical context, means keep Christianity out. 
That's a lie from the pit of hell. But let's take a look at a couple more and we'll move on. Noah Webster, listen. The religion which has introduced civil liberty is the religion of what? Christ and his apostles. This is genuine Christianity. And to this, we owe our free constitutions of government. The moral principles and precepts found in the scriptures ought to form the basis of what? All our civil constitutions and law. And I'm persuaded that no civil government of a Republican form can exist and be durable in which the principles of Christianity have not a controlling influence. And finally, nail in the coffin, we could be here all day, but this is the Congress, the U.S. House Judiciary Committee, 1854 said this. Had the people during the revolution, the American Revolution, had a suspicion of any attempt to war against Christianity, that revolution would have been strangled in its cradle. Why? Because in this age, there can be no substitute for Christianity. Christianity. Listen, that was the religion of the founders of the republic. Listen, and they expected it to remain the religion of their descendants. In other words, you and I. They built our country on Jesus Christ, on God and the Bible, and that was the success. That was the foundation they were laying, not just for their time, but for our time as well. And the reason why we're going down tubes is because we've got off that foundation. We bought into a lie. We listened to the atheists instead of our own true heritage. And we've let them take God out of our whole system. In fact, I want to give you another one. We even have presidents, presidents, who were involved in such Christian activities as this. Watch this video. You see the statue to the left of the door over there, that white marble statue? That is President James A. Garfield. President Garfield uh, was one of the young major generals in the Civil War. Uh, he was a war hero. He became Speaker of the House. He became the 20th President of the United States. And by the way, uh, that man founded Howard University. Uh, General O.O. Howard took it over after he founded it. Just a really cool guy. But what we never hear about that President of the United States is that he was a minister during the Second Great Awakening. Uh, this is actually one of his letters, signed James A. Garfield, 1858. In this letter, President Garfield recounts that he had just finished preaching a revival service where that he preached the gospel 19 times in the revival. He says as a result of his preaching, he said that 34 folks came to Christ and he baptized 31 of them. Now that doesn't seem like a typical presidential activity today. That's what we used to do with presidents in the past. Again, you'd walk through, you'd see that statue, you'd think, oh, there's a president. You'd never think there's a minister. We've so compartmentalized Christianity in such a small box that we don't realize our military leaders, our, our ministers, our educators, our, our, our presidents used to be ministers. That's why I say about one-fourth of these statues are ministers of the gospel. But we've compartmentalized it, and we don't even know it because we have rolled over and played dead. We have believed a lie. What's the axiom in the history? Those who don't learn their history are what? Doomed to repeat it. We don't even know our own history in America. We've been lied to, folks. This is our presence. This is, our, this is the foundation that our country was built upon. They not only believed in Jesus Christ, the founding fathers, as their Lord and Savior, they clearly built the foundation of our nation. That's what made our country so great. And we have so rolled over and played dead on this church. We're the ones that need to lead the way back. We need to get back to that foundation. The lost aren't going to do it. It's us. But we have so rolled over that the previous administration, when they went about mocking God and Jesus Christ in the Bible, we let them get away with it. Remember this video? Watch this one. This still burns me to this day. Let's take a look. And moreover, given the increasing diversity of America's populations, the dangers of sectarianism are greater than ever. Whatever we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation, at least not just. We are also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, and a Buddhist nation, and a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers. And even if we did have only Christians, 
in our midst. If we expelled every non-Christian from the United States of America, whose Christianity would we teach in the schools? Would it be James Dobson's or Al Sharpton's? Which passages of scripture should guide our public policy? Should we go with uh, Leviticus, which uh, suggests slavery is okay, and that eating uh, shellfish is an abomination? Or we could go uh, with uh, Deuteronomy, which suggests stoning your child if he strays from the faith? Or should we just stick to the Sermon on the Mount, a passage that is so radical that it's doubtful that our own Defense Department would survive its application? We... I not only find that absolutely offensive, I find it blasphemous. And he should have been ejected. And it's ludicrous when you do the homework and understand Christian, our founding fathers, must be rolling over in their graves. I just share with you just a few, a handful. There's volumes and volumes of proof of who they built our country on. It was the foundation of Jesus Christ. They revered Jesus Christ. They revered God's word. They didn't mock it. That is not acceptable. And that's not our history. And folks, I'm telling you, if anything's going to happen, if anything's going to turn around, if America's going to be made great again, if we can be a part of a great revival before the rapture happens, because again, listen, this isn't going to last forever. Do you realize that? As good as this is, it's not. Because the seven-year tribulation is coming. You realize that. Okay, you're not going to stop that. Right? Plus, if the Lord should tarry and we're still alive and the rapture hasn't occurred, at best we got, what, 12 years? Understand the cycle of our elections. You had Reagan for what? Eight years. You got another four out of Bush, a senior who lied. Read my lips. No new taxes. You liar. Right? Right? You lied. So we had 12 years and then bang, they came back again. And just like Dr. Reagan said, you think this is going to last forever? Wait till the next one gets in power. So we got a short window. And what should we be doing with that window? I don't know about you, but wouldn't it be great to finish strong? finish like our founding fathers who were willing to risk it all. They took on the greatest power on the planet at the time, Britain, and they whooped their pants off. Woo! Who are these ragtag bunch of people? Because they believed and trusted their lives to Jesus Christ. That's why we succeeded. And we got to get back. And we don't only got to get back to that Christian with this short window of opportunity we got, because that's all it is. Don't squander it away. We got to get back to having that same backbone as our founding fathers did, speaking and proclaiming Jesus Christ. One guy puts it this way. Listen to this. He goes, listen, life, liberty, or the pursuit of happiness uh, will not endanger somebody because somebody says a 30-second prayer before a football game. What's the big deal? It's not like somebody's up there reading the entire book of Acts. They're just talking to God and whom they believe in and asking him to grant safety to the players on the field and the fans going home from the game. But what about the atheists? What about them? He says, listen, nobody's asking them to be baptized. We're not going to pass the collection plate. Humor us for 30 seconds. If that's too much, bring a pair of earplugs. Go to the bathroom. Visit the concession stand. Call your lawyers. Unfortunately, a couple will call their lawyers. One or two will tell tens of thousands of Americans what they can and cannot do. But it's a Christian prayer. Some will argue, well, yeah, hello, this is the United States of America, a country that's founded on Christian principles, and according to every phone book, Christian churches outnumber all others 200 to 1. So what do you expect? Somebody chanting Hare Krishna?
Krishna? If I went to a football game in Jerusalem, I'd expect to hear a, Jerus a Jewish prayer. If I went to a soccer game in Baghdad, I'd expect to hear a Muslim prayer. If I went to a ping pong match in China, I'd expect to hear a Buddha prayer. But this is the United States of America, so why are we shocked when we hear a Christian prayer? And he says, our parents and our grandparents taught us to pray, and our Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. Now, a handful of people and their lawyers are telling us to stop from praying, to cease from praying, and whatever you do, don't mention the name of Jesus. God help us. And if that last sentence offends you, sue me. The silent majority has been silent too long, and it's high time that we tell the one or two who scream loud enough that, listen, the vast majority doesn't care what you want anymore. It's time that the majority rules. It's time that we tell them you don't have to pray. You don't have to say the Pledge of Allegiance. You don't have to believe in God or attend our services that honor him. That's your right and we'll honor your right. But by golly, you are no longer going to take our rights away because we are fighting back and we will win. Why? Because we are Christians. We are the ultimate winners. Nobody has a brighter future than us. We belong to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the master of the universe. We cannot lose. And we need to get that same backbone and risk it all, even persecution and threats like our founding fathers did. Don't you realize they put their lives on the line? They were going to be hanged. They were, if they got caught, they were killed. But they risked it all for the king of kings and the lord of lords. They built. That's what made our country great. And in this short window of opportunity, if we're going to experience revival, I'm convinced we got to get that same backbone back. Now, folks, that's what I call preaching. People tell me that Billy is the only person they know of who can talk faster than me. And, and that's saying a lot because I have been given the nickname of Uzi because people say I can talk faster than an Uzi machine gun can shoot. If you'd like to get in touch with Billy Crone's ministry, you can do so at getalifemedia.com. You'll find many videos and books there that he has produced about all aspects of Bible prophecy. Well, that's our program for this week. I hope it's been a blessing to you, and I hope the Lord willing that you'll be back with us again next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. A complete copy of the presentation you have just viewed is contained in our 2018 conference video album, together with the other five presentations that were made at the conference. They're provided on three DVD discs. Each presentation runs approximately 50 minutes in length for a total of 300 minutes of video footage. Along with Dr. David Reagan's presentation, the speakers include Robert Jeffress, pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. He speaks on heavenly rewards, telling about the importance of the rewards, the types of rewards, and the basis for them. Billy Crone, pastor of Sunrise Baptist Church in Las Vegas, Nevada, and founder of Get a Life Ministries. He speaks about the hope for a last day's revival. In the process, he presents a powerful challenge to the church to arise from its lethargy and start proclaiming the gospel with boldness. Jan Markell, founder of Olive Tree Ministries in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and host of the nationally syndicated radio program, Understanding the Times. She gives a shocking presentation about the mockery of Bible prophecy that exists within the church today. 
Bill Koenig, member of the White House Press Corps and founder of the internet news service called World Watch Daily. He presents an insightful overview of national and world events from a biblical perspective. And Jonathan Kahn, best-selling author and rabbi of a Messianic congregation in Wayne, New Jersey. He reveals a biblical blueprint for what is happening in our nation today as it shakes its collective fist at God. The album could be yours for a gift of $25 or more, including the cost of shipping. Just call the number you see on the screen Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time, or place your order through our website at lamblion.com. The messages in this video album are appropriate for both individual and group study and for showing to congregations. They'll provoke you to think deeply about the current sinful condition of our nation and what Christians should be doing about it. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 